Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. You 
I've been watching you here at the grave for over a half hour. I guess the deceased was a close relative. No, I never met him. I why did you die? Why did you uh, die? I beg your pardon, sir. You say you never met him and you carry on like this. Then tell me, who is buried here? My wife's first husband. <laughs> why did you die? J.M. in the A.M. Oh, yes, an Adar comedy segment here on a, uh, what is today, Thursday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Oh, boy. That is funny. Before that, a whole collection of music from Sheer Volume Number 3, Shlomo Yehuda Rechnitz. You heard the uh, selections from Levi Folkowitz. That was Lamana Chai. Ule Yachos, done by Jonathan Sheinfeld and Avremel. Avram Freed with Ms. Marla Soda. Uman, that was Shlomo Katz. Ellie Schwebel and Shulam Lemmer together with This Is We. Song introduced Sunday night at Hask. Uh, the set from uh, Ari Hill and Ellie Marcus's brand new Project X. And, of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Thursday on this February the 18th, day six in the month of Adar. The year is 5781, Tufshin Pei Aleph. 29 degrees, 44% humidity, winds in northeast at 10 miles per hour. Snow today, snow tonight, snow tomorrow. 5 to 8 today with a high of 31. 1 to 3 tonight, low 30. And 1 to 3 tomorrow with a high of 37 degrees. That's what they're saying. Yeah, if you add it up, it's a total of 7 to 14. 7 to 14 inches of snow. Who knows? It's supposed to start now, like in the next half hour. We'll see what happens. My report from Israel uh, is that uh, they got two to three inches in Yerushalayim. Although I saw pictures this morning. It looks like the roadways are clear, but you can tell that there is snow on the side of the road. Grassy areas, etc. But apparently two to three inches in uh, a lot of areas of Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. Boy, oh boy. We are... Um, we are keeping in mind, and I wish there was more we could do, uh, our friends and uh, close comrades down in Texas and so many areas of the southeast that are suffering with no heat, no water, no food in some cases, and just dire conditions because of these ice storms and crazy weather conditions. And I hope they see some improvement today. Our uh, Yoni Pollock is still down there in Houston. Uh, after having uh, gotten up from Shiva Monday morning for his father. And uh, I'll try to be in touch with him again today, but it's hard because uh, they're trying to conserve whatever power they have, whatever juice they have in their phones because of the situation. Um, Mayor Turner, who's Mayor Turner of Houston, who's been on this show, great friend of Israel, was actually doing an interview on TV and the power went out. And a lot of those are forced blackouts to conserve some energy, but it's just a 
terrible situation down there. So we hope and pray that things improve in that region of the country as uh, people are literally dying because of uh, the situation. Well, it's with profound sadness that uh, I acknowledge and discuss the passing of our good friend Rush Limbaugh. By complete coincidence, by complete coincidence, I uh, was tuned in at 12 noon yesterday to his station. I had not been tuned in in quite a while. And um, I heard the unusual uh, uh, occurrence of his uh, wife taking the microphone. And at that point, I, I assumed we were about to hear the worst. And how appropriate that it was his audience who found that first in this era where nothing, absolutely nothing, is uh, able to be held as a secret or able to be uh, covered up as a news story. It is it is amazing that they were able to hold it until uh, until his show started and his audience appropriately would be the first to find out the uh, the terrible news. Uh, so Rush Limbaugh passed away at the age of 70. I was last in touch with him uh, on his 70th birthday, January the 12th. Uh, he's somebody that um, I and my family have known for a very, very long time. We met back in, we met before I was married. In fact, Stacy was recalling uh, yesterday to me how she remembers meeting him in my brother's home uh, when we were engaged. And he said to her at that time, you something like you probably don't like me. You know, he, he was assuming he was assuming that she was a, a typical female Jewish liberal from Manhattan <laughs> in her early twenties, and and probably didn't like anything that he had to say or the way he behaved uh, with his bravado. Um, but he he turned out to be. I mean, for for us, uh, for those the first time we met him, we met at Moshe P. King. Does that bring everybody back a while? My brother and I took him out for dinner at Moshe P. King in Manhattan. Again, it must have been, I got engaged in May of 89. Must have been right around that time, like the summer, maybe July of 89. And um, we took him out for dinner, and I remember we took him out for dinner shortly afterwards to Luigi Siegel, where he had a funny encounter with the, that was already a time when he, then he started there during that second or third time that we had dinner, then he started to really become recognized out there, even in New York, where he wasn't uh, you know, so popular. And uh, that was interesting, watching that whole dynamic when people realized who it was that was sitting at the dinner table. And then, of course, we were with him when he visited Israel for the first time in the summer of 1993. Mayor Weingarten was, of course, the coordinator of that trip, and uh, Malcolm Holmline was on that trip. My brother and I, I'll never forget going to Russia's office in the days before that trip just to discuss details and how it's going to work. And he was nervous about going to Israel, especially at that time, intifada times and all that. And he met with uh, Prime Minister Rabin, and we met with uh, Shimon Peres and, and uh, now Prime Minister Netanyahu and many others. And there were a lot of funny moments on that trip. There were a lot of funny moments on that trip including when uh, I think it was on day three of the four-day trip. I think it was on day three where uh, <laughs> where when we discussed with Rush going to Masada, which we were going to be doing the next day, he said, is there any way we could bring Masada to the hotel? 
which I thought was pretty funny. I, I think he did know what Masada was. He was just being funny. Um, and hanging out there with him in the hotel and just schmoozing about a whole bunch of stuff. He had already been, he had been on the air, you know, nationally already three, four years as this was happening. And uh, he checked in under the name Chuck Knoll, the famous Pittsburgh Steeler coach who was a big Steeler fan, as many of you remember. So he checked in under his name. Or, or he regretted not having remembered to check in under someone else's name. I think that's what happened because what happened was he started getting these notes at the hotel front desk in Israel from people who wanted to you know, have a drink with him, take him out to dinner. He regretted, I remember, not shipping books in advance. He had just written a book. He should have shipped books in advance to give out to, you know, to people. He had a, uh, he had a, a, a uh, box of pre-Castro Cuban cigars with him. Cost, I don't know, like a hundred bucks a cigar or something like that. I remember that. And he, um, and he gave one to the prime minister and he gave one to others as well. And he loved smoking those cigars. And um, so that's what I, I remember a lot about that trip and his reaction to so many different things uh, that he saw and the people that he met. And uh, he also had friends on that trip that came along that had actually forced their way onto that trip, which was also a funny story. Anyway, so over the years, um, um, we had a chance to be in touch. He was extremely helpful to me a couple of times during my career. Extremely helpful. Extremely, extremely, extremely helpful, specifically one time during my radio career. And... Um, he was on JM and the AM a million times at the beginning of his career. I mean, in the 90s, we had him on very often, and we were always talking about the peace process. Remember, he was in Israel in the summer of 93. Oslo was, you know, weeks away, um, and nobody knew it. When he was there, nobody nobody knew what was about to happen uh, in terms of um, a peace agreement. And... Uh, and... So he was on a lot of times, especially in the 90s, and we were invited to his wedding, which we weren't able to go to. It was on a Saturday down in Florida. We weren't able to go to the wedding. We actually thought about it. It was during the summer, I think. We were actually thinking about you know just going and you know walking in like 9.30 at night after Shabbos and wishing him mazel tov, so to speak. It didn't work out, though. And... Uh, of course, the most famous moment that he and I had in uh, in radio together was um, oh, I remember also he he missed my wedding because he was out of town. I think he was in California. He missed my wedding, but it, I think it was the first time he ever uttered the words Mazel Tov on the air. Was the day of my wedding? The day of my wedding, he wished us a Mazel Tov and regretted that he wouldn't be able to be there. But then the most famous moment, of course, when uh, he was on the air with me was during the fundraising marathon. Uh, I guess it was, I'm here now 37 years. I guess it was the 30th anniversary. I assume it was the 30th anniversary, unless it was the 25th. And uh, he came on the air and did a whole nice tribute, which is, of course, on. it's in our archives. It's, I, it's either 08 or 13. It's one of those two marathons. I assume it's 08. Although I'm not sure, frankly, I don't remember. We should go back and play it on the air, frankly. It was a great conversation. And, of course, at the end of that conversation, he contributes $25,000 to the radio station. Which was funny because because 30 years earlier or 25 years earlier, depending on when it was, 
at the very beginning of our friendship when he was on the air during one of my fundraisers, he pledged $100. And then all these years later, he pledged and gave $25,000, which was really cool. A cause for great celebration at the radio station and, and all the people working at the radio station who were not the biggest Rush Limbaugh fans all of a sudden became very big Rush Limbaugh fans. Anyway, we uh, we will miss him. He was, I said yesterday, fighter for justice. And of course, a million people hated that line because, you know, everyone's interpretation of justice is different. Um, and I wrote fighter for Israel. And the truth is that's something I could speak to. That is something I could speak to. He was there. He was there with common sense and uh, and great support um, for the right of Israel to exist and the right for Israel to defend itself. And that's really, really important. I remember calling him the morning after Mayor Kahana was um, assassinated because he wasn't sure exactly, you know, what the background was and and what kind of impact this would have, you know, on certain things happening in Israel. I remember talking to him about that. Um. Anyway, lots of thoughts, lots of episodes, lots of different things that uh, I remember about um, about Rush, and he had a as as all of you know, you know, and thank God I had a great relationship with him. And as all as all of you know, he had a very very warm and friendly relationship with my brother Rabbi Nate Siegel. I mean, just you know, they they were closer in age, obviously. Um, than I was with him and they had this, uh, camaraderie and, uh, and, um, chemistry that was really remarkable. And, um, you know, if I talk about, uh, all these episodes and different things that happened and <clears throat> being with him on the air, etc. uh, the reality is that uh, my brother had this really, really close off-the-air relationship. I was down with my brother right after our father died. I went down with him in Florida to visit Rush, and uh, and there was always this. Uh, there was something between the two of them. He always, obviously, he called him. He called my brother his rabbi. Uh, <laughs> not that somebody of his background needs a rabbi, but you get my point. He called him his rabbi, and he always had this very warm place in his heart for him, which was really nice to watch and great to see and experience. And he will be missed. He will be missed. Rush Limbaugh, 70 years old, big impact on this country and big impact on our community, even though most of you out there would not know that, but I can attest to it. Thursday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Uh, A snowy Thursday, or at least we are expecting uh, plenty of snow. Uh, later on, uh, Rabbi Steve Weil, who is the uh, new head of the uh, FIDF, Friends of the Israel Defense Forces, he's going to be joining us. We also have a representative of Turo College who has information about another unique and interesting program that goes on at Turo. We'll uh, do that conversation a little later on in our show and plenty more on a Thursday. No reason to touch that dial on a Thursday morning. No reason to touch that dial. Um, we have amazing programming going on all day long, including our live lunch starting at 11 o'clock. Mark Zamek with the Arab Shabbos show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That's going to be happening, uh, tonight starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time and replayed at 3 a.m. and 10 a.m. tomorrow. All for Shabbos Zachar. All for, uh, 
Shabbos Parshas Truma. So that's all coming up, and uh, plenty more if you keep it here at the Nahum Siegel Network. A siren echoes in the air A nation anxious, numb with fear Side by side, eyes raised to heaven Praying fervent prayers A tragedy with narrow hope We stand together, try to cope Hashem, please save our family Wipe away the tears But when everything is back in order Why do we let go? Our hearts were bound as one together Was it just for show? Do we really need another shadow To block our warning sun? And to remind us all That we are really Which other people can compare With how we hold each other dear Through suffering and painful times Our bond is ever strong Imagine if we'd linger on Long after our cries are gone No storm could ever reach our midst If we'd only stay so strong With an open heart And to help each other grow And when we are forced apart Never let the feeling go No, we'll never need another shadow To block our warming sun For Hashem will see We know that we That we are really
That completes our tour of the camp. And if you like, I'll walk you back to the headquarters building. Oh, yes, thank you, General Berkowitz. You know, it certainly has been a very fulfilling experience here, visiting with your troops. I'm, I'm certain my readers will be as impressed as I am with the discipline and precision with which this camp is run. 
Especially since it's an army made up basically of civilians. Thank you, Mr. Campbell. It's always a pleasure showing a member of the press around. Yeah, well, oh, General, uh, excuse me. I, I guess you didn't notice that guard. The, the private we just walked past didn't salute you. He didn't what? He didn't salute me? <laughs> no, General, he didn't. Well, we'll see about that. Soldier, is it true that when I just passed you, that you didn't salute me? That's right, I didn't salute you. What's the matter, Mendel? You're mad at me. <laughs> J.N. <laughs> Another one of those great comedy segments here at JM in the AM in the month of Adar. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com, on the NachumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. You heard the uh, Yeshiva Boys Choir in there. You heard Baruch Levine in there. And now you're about to hear our news from Israel as we... Get an update from the other side of the world. Snow expected here, 7 to 14 inches over the next 36 hours. That's what they're saying. I have no idea what's going to happen, but in a way, I don't know if they know what's going to happen exactly. But snow is expected. It should be starting in the next few minutes, actually, according to the forecast. In Jerusalem, they said they had 2 to 3 inches. Imagine that. And a lot of young people frolicking in the snow. Something we can't appreciate for those of us who are frustrated by yet another storm on the way. <laughs> as simple as that. Galitzal, the background. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Thursday follows next. We say Boker Tov from Jam in the AM. Galitzal, נתוני מגפת הקורונה העדכניים. נמשכת ירידה בשיעור הבדיקות החיוביות. מקדם ההדבקה נשאר יציב ועומד על 0.81. בתוך כך נמשכת ההערכות לקראת החזרת המסחר ביום ראשון, בדגש על פתיחת אירועי תרבות וספורט, חדרי כושר ומלונות למחלימים ומחוסנים בלבד. שר הבריאות יולי אדלשטיין התייחס לאכיפת התו הירוק במקומות אלו ומאיים, מי שיזייף תעודות התחסנות עלול לסיים בכלא. אין ולא תהיה חובת חיסון במדינת ישראל. לא יהיו גם סנקציות אישיות נגד מישהו שלא יתחסן. מי שחושב שזה משחק ילדים, והוא ידפיס לעצמו בבית תעודת מתחסן למרות שלא יתחסן, וינסה להיכנס עם זה לחדר כושר או לתיאטרון, בסופו של דבר הוא ייתפס, והבילוי הזה יסתיים גם בכלא. על רקע המגעים החשאיים עם סוריה להחזרת האזרחית הישראלית שחצתה את הגבול, ראש הממשלה בנימין נתניהו נאם בטקס הזיכרון לחללי צה"ל שמקום קבורתם לא נודע והודיע לא נרפה מהעיסוק בעניינם של הנעדרים והשבויים עד שיחזרו הביתה. אנחנו משקיעים בנושא הנעדרים והשבויים מאמצים בלתי פוסקים ממש בימים אלה. אנחנו ממשיכים לפעול מול ממשלות וגורמים כל בדל מידע, כל קצה חוט נבדק כל סיכוי ממשי להחזיר את הבנים ממוצה עד תום. מדברי ראש הממשלה הביאה כתבתנו מוריה אסרף וולברג. עלייה במספר הקצינות הבכירות בצה"ל. תוך שני עשורים מספר אלופות המשנה הוכפל פי ארבעה, מדווח כתבנו לענייני צבא וביטחון צחי דבוש. בשנת 2000 היו בצה"ל 12 אל"מיות, השנה היו 42 אלופות משנה. עלייה חלה גם במספר הסאליות. היום יש בצה"ל 340 סגניות אלוף, בעוד שבשנת 2000 היו 165 בלבד. למרות הגידול, בצה"ל עדיין מחכים. 
במינויי האלופות במטה הכללי. שירות התעסוקה פונה למעסיקים ומכריז כי אם נתקלו בסירוב מצד עובדים לחזור מחופשה ללא תשלום, יוכלו לדווח על כך לשירותי המדינה. מנגנון מקוון יעמוד לרשות המעסיקים באתר שירות התעסוקה ויאפשר להם להיעזר בחיליו. כתבתנו ניביה גור מוסיפה כי הנוהל החדש גובש בשיתוף פעולה עם התאחדות התעשיינים. תחזית מזג האוויר, בשעות האחרונות נחלשו הגשמים ברחבי הארץ, אך יוסיף להיות קר מאוד בימים הקרובים. קיים חשש שיטפונות בדרום הארץ. ולסיום, אחרי השלג הכבד ברמת הגולן, גם אתר החרמון ייפתח למבקרים מיום ראשון לצד פתיחת מקומות המסחר. כתבתנו עינב קרנר מוסרת כי כלל האתר יהיה פתוח לנופשים, כולל הרכבל ומסלולי הגלישה, כפוף להרשמה מראש ובהתאם לתנאי התו הסגול. אלה החדשות שעורכת עמית נגבי. בחסות אוטו דיפו.
I have a Goldberg reporting, sir. Yes, Private. What is it? Well, Major, it's like this. I heard you needed a person for a mission impossible, and here I am. Well, good boy, Goldberg. This is a dangerous and top-secret assignment. Now, first, you'll take a jet. You'll fly at 30,000 feet, and then you'll parachute out over enemy territory. I'll take a jet, and I'll fly it at 30,000 feet, and I'll parachute out. Major, don't worry about a thing. It wouldn't happen. <laughs> I'm afraid of heights. Hmm, well, I suppose we can get you there by boat. Now, when you get to the enemy campsite, you'll steal one of their camels and ride due east 41 miles to the bridge. Let us review. <laughs> when I get to the enemy campsite, I'll steal a camel and ride him due east 41 miles to the bridge. Major, don't worry about a thing. It'll never take place. <laughs> I'm frightened of animals. All right, Goldberg, uh, you'll walk to the bridge. Now, when you get there, you'll take the 100 pounds of high-explosive TNT, you'll tie it on your back, then you'll tie yourself to one of the main beams under the bridge, and when the enemy tanks are crossing, you'll blow up the bridge. Aha! Now, that's a plan. <laughs> I'll tie the 100 pounds of TNT on my back, then I'll tie myself to the bridge, and when the tanks come, boom! Don't you worry, Major. And I'm not going to worry either, because I'm not going to do it. From the boom alone, I get such a migraine. Private, Private, I, I just don't understand you. You're afraid to fly, you're frightened of animals, you're terrified of high explosives. Why did you come in here in response to my request for a volunteer? Major, I came to tell you that on me you shouldn't depend. <laughs> J.M. in the A.M. <laughs> Thursday morning broadcast here at J.M. in the A.M. Private Goldberg volunteer. Peretz Chain had Baruch Hashem. You heard Keep On Giving. That was uh, Schlockrock. And, of course, Avramel, Avram Fried with Ototo opening up that set here at J.M. in the A.M. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Enjoy a 10% discount at all Aples and Hyman products at kosherdogs.net with promo code RADIO. A&H has been serving the kosher world since 1954, and A&H products are available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today. Speaking of promo code RADIO, yesterday we had uh, Rabbi Shai Graucheron, Rav Chaim Kanievsky on Tehillim, brought to you by Art Scroll. Go to artscroll.com, order that or anything, and use promo code RADIO. You get 10% off plus free shipping. Again, go to artscroll.com. Chaim Kanievsky on Tehillim is brand new. If you missed that conversation yesterday, it is worth revisiting. It really is. Pretty amazing. Um, go to um, artscroll.com. Always use promo code RADIO for that and every product they have. In this case, 10% off and free shipping with promo code RADIO at artscroll.com. Uh, feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Listener Terry says it's snowing in Coney Island. Yeah, it's snowing here as well. It's coming down pretty strong, by the way. We're in the first minutes of this snowstorm, and it's coming down pretty strong. Pretty strong. This listener says, if I recall correctly, wasn't rushed on the air with you the same day or within a day of two of your father's last appearance on the air with you. Yeah, I think it was that day. Now that I think about it, because I was confusing 08 and 13, those two fundraisers. But I think it was 2008, and it was that day. 
In fact, I always said to myself that the last thing my father was likely listening to on the car radio uh, before the car accident that killed him was probably my conversation with Rush Limbaugh. Wow. Life is funny, huh? Thursday morning broadcast, JM in the AM at 20 minutes after the hour. Plenty coming up on this Thursday, including by Steve Weil, brand new CEO at the uh, FIDF, Friends of the Israel Defense Forces. He'll join us this hour coming up at JM in the AM.
Corporal Goldstein, you're two hours late. Two hours. You better have a good excuse. Well, sir, I was, I was sleeping in the barracks when I was awakened by this mysterious noise. Huh? So I crept out. I find 4,000 of the enemy surrounding the camp. I see. So I snug up behind them, and I gave them my hands up. Gung-ho Goldstein. Yes. <laughs> so I tied them all up, and I marched them 50 miles down the road to the PW camp. And then what? And then I went back, and I drove the 42 tanks they had with them to the motor pool, and I repainted them. Repainted them? Yes. Blue and white. <laughs> then I went back to the barracks and took a nice warm bath, and here I am. Uh-huh. And that took you a whole two hours? J.M. <laughs> in the A.M. Oh, those are funny. Some snow out there. They're expecting 7 to 14 inches. Wish we could be a little bit more accurate than that, but it is, in fact, snowing, believe it or not. It has started in this area, and I hope you're safe and good wherever you are. I know that our friends down south, especially in the Texas area, are going through some challenges, to say the least. Certainly hope that things are uh, improving down there at this point. Let us pray. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas HaRav Zebner Beosav Alevi, and Zechonishmas Esther Basar Beosav Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. 
This week, we read Parsha Zachar. In it, we read Timche Zechra Malek. You shall wipe out any memory of Amalek. Mitachas HaShemayim Loitishkach. From under the heavens, you shall not forget. The question is asked by the Divra Yanai. Why does it say Mitachas HaShemayim? From under the heavens. Is it possible to wipe out Amalek's name from on top of the heavens? The answer can be explained with a fascinating piece of Talmud in Mesech the Shabbos. It quotes the Pasuk in Koheles. What profit does a man have for all the labor that he toils beneath the sun? The Divrayanai comments that underneath the sun there is no profit. However, before the sun there is. Rashi explains, what does it mean before the sun? That is, if a person will be Amol, they will toil in Torah, which preceded even the creation of the sun, then there is profit. We can see then that the Torah is called Me'al HaShemesh, on top of the sun. This Pasuk tells us we have to remember to blot out the remembrance of Amalek. One could think that where he finds it, he should blot it out, including if he finds it in the Torah itself. Because of this, it says, Timche Zechra Malek Mitachas HaShemayim, that the name of Amalek should be blotted out from underneath the heavens and not from the Torah itself. A great Jew, Reb Zevol Friedman, was taken to Mathausen, the terrible concentration camp that was responsible for the horrifying deaths of so many of Achenu B'nai Yisrael. He had been able to smuggle in a tiny Megillah, a kosher Megillah for Purim. However, when he came in, the order was given that he would be put in the sick group. In other words, those that would be left to die on their own. He had no choice. He gave the Megillah to a close friend, Reb Tzvi Yosef. Reb Tzvi Yosef said to him, Wolf, try to hang on. You can see that in a few days we're going to get out of here. Please, in the schus of this Megillah that you're giving to me, you should be able to live and see freedom. With Hashem's help, he hung on, and Reb Zevol Friedman lived, was liberated, and with the grace of Hashem went on to build a family. Zechor al Tishkach. Always remember, never forget. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day.
In the AM, Thursday morning broadcast, perfect song for the month of Adar, Yehuda Green with Vinahapo Hu at JM in the AM. Well, back in August, the Friends of the Israel Defense Forces, FIDF, announced the appointment of our good friend Stephen Weil as its new national director and CEO to head the charitable organization beginning this past September. And um, this has been our first opportunity to uh, really ask Rabbi Weil about the appointment, and now we get an opportunity to actually speak to him about the first few months in his position as a national director and CEO of FIDF, Friends of the Israel Defense Forces. Rabbi Stephen Weil, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Oh, it's wonderful to always be on JM and AM, and especially with you, Nachum. It's really a treat and a, and a privilege. I appreciate that very much. Uh, there are some, knowing how brilliant a career you have had in both the rabbinate and in Jewish communal life, there are some who uh, expressed surprise at uh, this move to become the national director and CEO of the Friends of the IDF. Uh, if you could take us back to the summer of 2020, when all this was being decided, what could you tell us about this interesting move? It's, it's interesting. You know, I, I took a number of our significant donors at the OU, I took them to the to the White House for the Hanukkah party. And there were a few fellows that said they wanted to speak. You know, so they, they saw who I was. They came over. I thought they wanted to speak about a Jewish communal issue here in America, or a lobbying effort, something to that effect. And, and they really wanted to speak about the future of Israel. And I'll tell you, even though our family, we are supporters of FIDF, you know, in Beverly Hills, we would always participate in New York. I really didn't appreciate what the organization does. This is really about building the future of the Jewish people and the future of Israel. It's, it's about transformational educational solutions that enable every Jew to have a chance to make it in life. If, if they're going to give three years or four years or five years of their life, whether it's a young woman or a young man, to the Jewish people, when everyone else is going to college and going to the beaches, well, you know what? We want to make sure that they can give the next 60 years of their life to the Jewish people. So this was an opportunity to build Israel. Well, one second. We, we've always been under the impression that FIDF exists— um, as a support system for those who are currently in the Israeli army. Are you saying that now there's um, somewhat of a an expansion or an attention being paid to other areas where FIDF will be there for those soldiers and those uh, enlistees even beyond during the time of their military service? 
Yes, a major component of what we do, and this is really after strategic conversations, General Amir Eshel, he's the CEO of the Defense Ministry. This is with the, the generals who run the manpower division of the Army. And that is that if someone's willing to give that many years of their life, Israel can't afford a GI Bill. 14.9% of the GDP. You know, you talk about one of the greatest miracles in Jewish history is that the Israeli economy exists when 15% of the GDP goes into military. Right. So they turned to you and I. They turned to the diaspora community and said, let's give these kids a chance after the military. So those who can't afford, and, and the Army has the tax returns of the parents, we fund a free university education with spending money so that they can become an engineer, they can live the startup nation dream, they can become a nurse, a doctor, whatever it is that they want to become, they can support a family and they can build the Jewish people. And that's, this, one, that's one aspect of the kind of transformational you know, educational solutions that we provide to build Israel and build the Jewish world. And this is new, you're saying. In other words, what I described in terms of how the FIDF has been, in my opinion, brilliantly supporting both lone soldiers and soldiers in general with whatever is necessary, whether it's material, whether it's uh, educational material, whether it's recreational events, etc. They've been doing that really well. You're, you're saying this is now an additional focus of the organization. Well, it's actually, it started about 18, even though the organization's 40 years old, this, this direction started 18 years ago. But in terms of the, the upper echelons, I'm talking about Avid Kochavi, I'm talking about Amir Eshel, but the high upper echelon of the army, this is their first priority, because it's a Jewish army. A Jewish army is invested in, in every neshama. It's invested in every young man and every young woman. That It's not just about defending the state of Israel. It's about giving them the opportunity to help build the Jewish world above and beyond their experiences. They move past their army experience. So that, That's very crucial. Uh, Stephen Weil is with us, new national director of the FIDF. So now when I read that the 2021 fundraising priorities of the Friends of the FIDF are number one, education, number two, financial relief, and number three, the well-being needs of the soldiers throughout their IDF service, uh, that is a new order to the list of priorities. I'll tell you the one that's a new order is the financial relief. COVID is devastating. Actually, it's not just COVID. It's the three quarantines that have to be that have destroyed Israel. Israel was doing fantastically well with 3.8% unemployment. The, the official number today is 21.75, wow. but that doesn't include people who are self-employed. It's over 25%. It's right. devastating. And unlike America, they can't just print money for bailouts the way right. we can here. Right. So uh, just to give you statistics, on an average, over the last six years, we've supported financially 8,000 soldiers who come from families under the poverty line. You know what the number was last month? I'm sorry, two months ago it was 29,100. This month we're at 35,000. Wow. There are 35,000 soldiers that are either under the poverty line or in Israel they refer to it as the gray zone. That means they're hovering just at or just above poverty. So we're trying to raise funds to give them food relief. When they go home every second or every third weekend from the, the combat unit, they have these cards, which you know, they're very dignified because no one knows that no one knows it's food stamps. It's, it looks like a credit card, and it can only be used in the supermarkets. 
we put funds into their bank account because their parents, based upon the relief they're getting from the government, can't pay the utility bills, can't pay the rent. So the idea is that the diaspora Jewry during this miserable economic time, hopefully we can just get them over the hump. So it's always been in some ways a life-saving organization, uh, FIDF. Now it's much more of a life-saving organization. Uh, it's, it's, it's such a tragedy, you know, what, what's happening financially to people in Israel. It's, it's devastating right now. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, now, you've been in this position for, you know, almost six months. Um, I've always been impressed, and I've been a big, big FIDF guy. I mean, I, I've gone with my children to dinners, and we've made pledges publicly, as the as is the habit of the, at the FIDF dinner. And I have seen tables of people. You know, uh, of those who have no, you know, Jewish ritual background, but are of course, you know, brothers and sisters of ours, and at the same table, uh, uh, you know, a Hasidic man wearing a strimal. And I'm not kidding when I say that. I saw that at a Saturday night FIDF dinner. The reason, of course, is because his son was in the Israeli army and had he had tremendous appreciation for what FIDF was doing for him. So the diversity and the brotherhood in that crowd is simply amazing. My question is, with these tough times, and we know what it's like here also, not just in Israel, in the last six months, have you seen a response from American Jewry? Have have we been able to keep up with the needs of the FIDF financially during these difficult times? No, not at all. In fact, 2020 relative to 2019 was a real down year, as it was in many places. Now, what we're doing is we've started something called FIDF Live, trying in real quality, telling the stories of multiple different soldiers, of really giving you a multifaceted look at Jewish life, trying to reach out to people in a time when it's hard to have face-to-face meetings. We're raising, on the one hand, a ton of money to help the soldiers, but unfortunately, members are down relative to 2019, number one. And number two is the problem is the needs are exacerbated. I'll give you a simple example. Many of these young kids, not necessarily with your kid or my kid, but many of them, because of the huge pressure of the army, they'll go to Brazil, they'll go to India, just, just to you know, whine, just bleed, so to speak, for six months, eight months. They go to places where they can backpack on the cheap. There's no one traveling during COVID. So instead of us having 8,000 soldiers to provide a full scholarship to, this year it's 11,300, just to give you an example. And these are all kids who are in combat units, who are lone soldiers, and as well come from a family that just can't afford financially, can't afford the college tuition. Oh, I hear that. Things are challenging, but you know what? We're the Jewish people. And there's going to be a better day. We're going to come out of COVID, and, and we're going to build. We're going to build Israel. Right, um, Rabbi Steve Wiles with us. I, I don't know if um, it, to the point I was making before, which I sort of glossed over about the makeup of those who are supporters. Um, I don't know if if everybody in this audience. I mean, we're, we're speaking to thousands of people right now, and you know their basic makeup. We know we know the average makeup of the people listening right now. And I don't know if they are as committed or feel the need to be as committed to FIDF as members of other segments of the Jewish community. Uh, Now that you're there, has there been already or do you anticipate an increased awareness 
among the orthodox segment of the community about how important it is to support organizations like yours that support Israel soldiers? Yeah, we've the organization historically has not necessarily spoken to the broader orthodox community, right. both what I call the yeshivish, the Hasidish, or the modernish community. Right. And the reality is, and I don't say this because I'm associated with it, if you had one dollar that you were going to spend on building Israel, it should go to the FIDF right. for a very simple reason: we take care of the Luchnis. I'll, I'll give you an incredible program that we, that we fund. It's called Be'ikvut HaChashmonaim, in the footsteps of the Maccabees. It's reliving Jewish history. It's reliving the Masorah. It's reliving the values in the places where it took place. So what's incredible about this army, it's a Yiddish army, it's a Jewish army, because it's all about building the Shamos. It's not just about defending the country. That, that's why during the Bidud, who's giving the pharmaceuticals and the food to people in B'nai Brak? Never, ever before has the relationship between the Haredi community, the Arab community, and the IDF been it's at an all-time high? Because it was these young kids who were giving from, from the gemachen, from the soup kitchens, they were giving Pesach meals to people who were, were homebound during quarantine. Mm-hmm. And this is happening now during this past quarantine as well. So in, in that sense, it's really a Yiddish army, and it's something that our people, meaning the Fum community, really can connect to on a spiritual level, on a financial level, and also building the Shamos and, and building our future together. And I don't mean to suggest, God forbid, that anybody would ever do this, but I think it's important to point out, uh, the, mo- the more we please God, and as I say proudly, I have been involved over the years, so I could, you know, I could speak from a little point of experience. Uh, the more we get involved, I-, I think it will only strengthen uh, those from all segments of the community that get involved. Um, when when there is a common Zionist principle um, uh, uh, throughout uh, Jewish communities and throughout Jewish families of this country, and you know this, you've served in so many different areas of this country, it, it is a very difficult bond to break. Some might think, oh, you know, now that now that there's an appeal to the to, to the Orthodox community to be involved, maybe it might affect the Hollywood community, or maybe it'll turn off other parts of the community, but if there's one thing I've learned from organizations like yours, it, people appreciate the fact that there is this common bond that many people, even outside of modern orthodoxy, because many of us think it's only exclusive to us, even outside of modern orthodoxy, have done a tremendous job raising their children on the principles of Zionism. And I think that that's something that you know we can build on in terms of attracting more and more people to become involved in the organization. Absolutely. I'll tell you, you talk about bringing people together. These are, these are, they're not small financially. They're small in terms of the greater needs. Because of COVID, you can't have Kriyas Megillah of 400 people or 350 people. They have to spread them out. So they turned to us. They, they needed hundreds of new Megillahs just in order to have a Prius Megillah on these army bases right. so that there could be proper spacing. So it wasn't just the firm people. We raised, we raised tens of thousands, I'm talking about $75,000, just to get Kusher and Megillahs so they could have a Prius and Megillah. I'll give you another example. Yeah. Dry, dry fit to see us. Now, again, I don't know about you, Nachum, but 
I'm not at a point in my life where I'm working out and schwitzing that much anymore. <laughs> but the, but soldier, the soldiers are. They use tens of thousands of pairs of dry fit sitzios. And you know what's fascinating? It's not just the from people who are paying for it. And the same thing goes for the education. The, the whole the Yiddish education that these kids are getting in the army, you have no idea how it turns them into Jews, into thoughtful, thinking Jews. It's not just the from. It's everyone who believes in that. You know, you're, and that's what's beautiful. It brings Claudia. Oh, I'm, I, I'm thrilled to I'm thrilled to hear this, and I hope it does get more people from our community involved. It, it, most most don't realize the uh, the um, areas of Jewish education and Jewish ritual that that you're involved with. Frankly, D- do the numbers intimidate you? And the reason I say it is because FIDF is known for bringing in a tremendous amount of fundraising from you know really unique sources including you know hollywood and uh, the, the many different financial communities of new york city i mean we're talking about some real serious numbers uh i don't know how easy it is if it's easy at all you know to maintain that or to match what's been done in past years especially now as you mentioned during covid is that intimidating for you is that something that you think you can build on and increase even more well, look at what we did at the OU. When I came and we brought in Alan Fagan and we brought in a team, we were raising not quite, maybe six, $700,000 a year. Today for Yachad, NCSY, we built that up to over $40 million. Wow. It's not simple to go from almost zero to that. Give Klal Yisrael, whether it's from, non-from, you know, this is something we do. We make the case and we speak. And what's beautiful about FIDF, you're connected to the soldiers. You have real relationships with them because you're adopting young, men, young Jewish women, young Jewish men. And, and the, the nachas that people get, no matter where you are on the scale, politically, religiously, the connection of Jew to Jew, that's really what's, what's so special about FIDF. You know, you have, you have a unique uh, circle of support. I, I alluded to this already. I, I mean... As an example, Chaim Saban is known as somebody who's, you know, outwardly supportive of FIDF. Are there other people that we would have heard of that you've met with or you've spoken to already in your position who we might be shocked or surprised that FIDF is a major priority for them? Yes. I don't, unless I have permission from a donor to publicly share their name, I can't. But, but you would be shocked, both in terms of the industries, the people, and also their commitment and their passion. We're talking whether it's technology, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's industry, whether it's finance, and in the backgrounds, their connection to Judaism, it's literally from one end to the other. Isn't it's the that, most beautiful thing. Isn't that funny? Because you're dealing with you know, you're dealing with certain areas of entertainment and, and you know life you know life in America where where you'd think they'd be hesitant to support the Israeli army. You know, we, we know what the reaction is on campuses when peop, when when kids find out that their colleagues in class are officially members of the IDF. I know of cases where they simply won't speak to that person anymore. You, you'd think that a lot more of that, especially in this cancel culture and, you know, where the Israeli army is not exactly the number one um, favorite of so many uh, because of the way it's viewed incorrectly in the media. Uh, you, so th- you, you hit the nail on the head. I'll, I'll tell you one story that's reflective of that, and then I'll share with you specifically what we're dealing with. I can't use the name because I don't have permission, 
But Chaim Saban told me the story. He went to a famous, I'm talking about a world-class famous designer who everyone's wife knows, happened to be a child of survivors. And one of the programs we do is we bring commanding officers because they have to instill the values of Judaism, of Jewish history, of why we're in Israel. They bring them for a week to Poland, experience Auschwitz, Treblinka, a thousand years of Ashkenaz, and then they go back to Israel. And he asked this person who was a child of survivors of an Auschwitz survivor, would she be interested in helping us fund this program? Mm. So she says, let me understand this. And he showed her a video. You know, this is Chaim Saban. This is not, right. you know, Rabbi Steve Weil, who's representing an organization. This is a peer. Right. So she said to him, let me understand something. You bring your commanding officers to Poland, to Auschwitz, so they can learn everything that the Nazis did to us, they can go back to Israel, and they can act as Nazis and do the same thing to the Palestinians. <laughs> can you imagine that? That was her response. <laughs> yes, you are, you, are, you are fighting a battle on many fronts, Rabbi Weil. <laughs> In terms of that, and I think many on this call probably know the name Lior Arusi. Lior sold his company, Strativity, and he's one of the incredible volunteers that is giving literally labor nefesh to us. Right. We've been working with, with a, some very significant marketing people with a language that speaks to someone who's anti-military, who's not anti-Jewish, but maybe anti-Israel. Right. This is to that population. Look at what we do. We don't fund machine guns or combat boots. All that we do are transformational educational solutions for, for every aspect of Israeli society, the weakest and the most challenged and on the other hand, the most gifted in everything in between. And we used language, and that, that, I guess it's probably not for this conversation, but the language that we use of unification, because what blows them away is unlike America, where people can't talk to each other. If this one's progressive and this one's conservative, they hate each other and they can't speak to each other. Right. Not so in Israel. The Ethiopian, the, the, the Moroccan, the, the Persian, the South African and the Ukrainian all have to be in the same bunk. Yeah. And they, they don't agree with each other, but they learn to live with each other. You know, I never thought of that. You may be right. The division that the division that we always give credit to Israel for might be greater in this country now than in Israel. You're actually I never thought of that, but it it's probably true at this point. You, you can't have a normal conversation with somebody on the other side of the aisle in this country at this point. And in Israel, at least that I think you could still have. There was a great conversation. It wasn't for a Jewish audience. Chief Rabbi Sachs, let's say, he was on, it was a Google, they had this, this forum, and it was really, the, the, the audience were, were Europeans. And they asked him, they said, you know, you're a man of theology, a man of philosophy. We, we hear in America the terrible polarization and the hatred between people of different political backgrounds. It's, it's the case in Western Europe. Are there any solutions? Do you have any, do you have any thoughts? He said, yeah, he said, everyone should be looking at Israel. So he used the word national service, right. which is what the IDF is. Right. He said, that national service model is what unifies people. They right. don't agree with each other. Right. But they learn to live with each other. They learn to exist with each other and respect each other despite their differences. Right. And, and as you pointed out, to the credit of the Haredi community, it's a, it's, it's a different attitude now than it was, which is you know very helpful. I mean, we've we got to give credit where credit is due. and. The reality is that as more of their community goes to serve and as more of their community shows appreciation 
to soldiers, you know, it, it is it's obviously a lot different than it was. I, I, I know I know we have a long way to go, but it, it's different than it was. Baruch Hashem. I, and I can tell you because we fund Nacho Haredi and we fund their housing. Right. We have some great people: David Hager, Steve Rosedale, Henry Orlinsky are some of the leaders in, in that. And I have to tell you that the numbers are going up, and the number of Muslims going not Druze. Druze was always a high percentage right. in the Right. The number of Muslims is going up about six to seven percent a year every year. It's a total trajectory. The, the Abraham Accords is very, very powerful. Right. It's actually having right. an impact on the Israeli Arab Muslim community. No question about it. All right, Rabbi Steve Weil, he is the new national director and CEO of the FIDF, Friends of the Israel Defense Forces. I want to call your attention, folks, to the 2021 fundraising priorities for the FIDF. You can go to their website, FIDF.org, FIDF.org, and you'll see that um, education, financial relief, and the well-being needs of soldiers are the three priorities that they have uh, in the near future. And everybody out there, I hope, takes an interest in the great work of the FIDF. I don't know why it took so long to get you on the air after your appointment, but I'm so glad you're with us this morning. And I, I'm going to say to you, and my, my friends in Jersey, I, I, FIDF know this. I made the commitment to them years ago, and I've always maintained it. And now I'm certainly anxious to um, to declare this on the national level as well. Uh, you have carte blanche here, uh, Stephen Weil. Uh, whatever I can do to help, to, especially in the Orthodox community, whatever I can do to help to spread the word about all the programs. And, and once we're post-COVID and this studio reopens up to guests, I hope you'll sit across from me and we'll be able to go through all the programs that FIDF is responsible for because there's tremendous growth potential, great interest around the country. I think just like Nefesh Benefesh and, and Birthright, I think there are people in this country who are clamoring to get involved in a serious Zionist organization that helps build the state of Israel. People of all backgrounds, people from people who, who unfortunately not all their relatives are Jewish to people who are, you know, uh, it, it's Haredi. I'm telling you, I think there's a tremendous common bond in there. So this door is always open to you. And uh, what can I tell you? I thank you very much for joining us this morning. Is there, is there anything else? You, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Yeah, can, can we speak about something that actually is not the focus of FIDF, but might be interesting for the listeners? Please. This is a, just a little military. If you look at the last hundred years of war. There was always this principle that whoever controlled the skies would, by definition, control the ground battle. Right. In, in the miracle of 67, right. that first hour and a half on June 5th, had we not taken out the Egyptian MiGs, the Russian MiG jets that were sitting on the Egyptian Air Force bases, we would have lost that war. Right. And that ultimately is what enabled the Israeli ground forces, both against the Jordanians, against the Syrians, and against the Egyptians, because they had air support. Well, that was the opposite in 73. When, when the Egyptians and the Syrians had this, those Russian SAM missiles, the surface-to-air missiles that took out the Israeli aircraft, that ultimately caused terrible casualties, and we almost lost Israel in 73. Right. Wars changed. Today, whoever controls cyber, it's not whoever controls the air controls the battle. Right. Whoever controls cyber controls the battle. And that's both on the offensive and on the defensive. And today in the IDF, you've got thousands of kids. And eventually they become the startup nation. Eventually they become Waze and they become Google and they become this and they become that. But where do they get their start? 
they get their start defending the nation. I'm, and I say this without any exaggeration. Beliguzma, every day thousands of attempts against Israel. Some of them come from young hackers, most of them, but many of them come from Iran. They're very sophisticated and very talented attempts to just destroy the whole infrastructure of Israel's banking system, its governmental systems, its water system, its grid. So cyber defense and cyber offense is what is going to shape any battle that comes up. And right. please, God, we don't have it, right. but, but let's not kid ourselves. We've got to be prepared. Lebanon's got 150,000 rockets on right. our northern border. Right. Iran is preparing for the day. They're developing these ICBMs to hit any place in Israel with chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons. It's a dangerous world. And, and the IDF is not the IDF of 25 years ago. Right. It, it's, a, it's a 21st century idea. I, uh, I can't thank you enough for pointing this out. And, and it's funny because... Uh, and I think if I think about the majority of soldiers that I'm either related to or know right now in the Israeli army, they are in exactly uh, the position that you're describing. And that is so important and so vital for our future. Can't thank you enough. Like I said, open door for you, Stephen Weil. And I hope you have tremendous success in this position and you really grow the organization to the point that it helps more and more and more of our dear Israeli soldiers. Well, thank you. And all those who have all those who have lone soldiers out there. This year, we've committed $5 million to lone soldiers from all over the world just to enable them that their transition and their aliyah should be successful, their army experience should be successful, and please keep sending your sons and daughters and build the Jewish future with us together. Amazing. Kolakavo, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. Five minutes after 8 o'clock, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSingle.com and the NahumSingle Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. To sing your praise, my heart to feel the joy. Let me have the gift for which I'm yearning. Another night in Israel. Desert flowers blooming in the spring, the grapes upon the vine. Let me walk the beaches in the moonlight Let me fall in love in Israel Wherever you go
eyes to see the day of plowshares from our souls. A time to mend, a time to gather stones, a time for peace in Israel. Let me hear the voice of bride and groom, of laughter in the streets. Answer the prayers of our children, so they need not fear in Israel. Sometimes life's like an ocean Sweet is quiet as blue Sometimes life's like an ocean Sailing with you Sometimes life's like an ocean Raging like a fool Sometimes life's like an ocean When it's drowning in you to surround me Talk with me and bring me down Rivers have come to surround me Talk to me and bring me down 
Without you by my side Twenty-seven years you and Sam were partners. Partners? Brothers! And after all that time, you split. What happened? No choice. There was no way out. It was kismet. <laughs> Tell me something. Would you stay partners with a man who stole from petty cash? Took postage stamps home for poison or mail? Gambled corporation funds at the racetrack? And to top it off, took cash from the company safe? Would you want a partnership with such a man? Never. Well, neither did he. <laughs> Jam in the AM with our Adhar comedy segments <laughs> on a Thursday morning broadcast. Eighth day with all you got before that. That's uh, dedicated to our friends in Texas 
who we hope and pray are going to be able to make it through this crazy crisis uh, with the ice storms and flooding and no power, food, electricity, all that stuff. It's just insane what's going on. Sam Glazer before that with In Israel. My thanks to Stephen Wall for joining us this morning here at JM and the AM from FIDF. Uh, I want to thank those who are acknowledging uh, my uh, little tribute that we did earlier in the first hour to the memory of Rush Limbaugh, our dear friend, and uh, Ken Friedman, <laughs> general manager over at WFMU, where I was from 1983 until uh, 2016, uh, just reminded me, he reminded me via text <laughs> that, because um, we were talking about, we were exchanging texts this morning about all the times that he was on the air, meaning Rush, and all the times he donated to the station. And um, and then he said to me, he asked me, Ken, what did Rush say exactly in the WFMU documentary? Didn't he say something like you, meaning Nahum, was the only sane person at WFMU or something like that? Which, of course, I laughed back uh, at him about. And now I have to remember. I don't know. I think I'm going to check with Matis. He might remember exactly what the words are. I barely remember there was a WFMU documentary in those days. But, yes, they interviewed Rush about my role, which is pretty funny. Anyway, if you missed the tribute earlier this morning, check out hour number one of our show today. Uh, obviously, it'll be in the archive section at thenachomsegal.com and on the NSN app. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nachomsegal Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Hello to Bus to Albany. They want to hear Moshe Hecht. That's their screen name, Bus to Albany. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Enjoy a 10% discount on all Abels and Hyman products at kosherdogs.net with promo code RADIO. A&H has been serving the kosher world since 1954, and A&H products are available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. Like listener Mendy, he's glad that he tried some A&H this week. He took our word for it that A&H meat is delicious, and he went for it. He went, for, he went to kosherdogs.net and ordered, ordered a boatload. And he's enjoying it now as we speak. Our friends at ShopEichlers.com have same-day delivery to Borough Park, Flatbush, Williamsburg, Crown Heights, Staten Island, Queens, Five Towns, Far Rockaway, Muncie, Monroe, Teaneck, Lakewood, Toms River, and Jackson, New Jersey. And I want to call your attention to this week's special at ShopEichlers.com. I told you my preference and why. Uh, they have incredible Shabbos lights. In fact, if you go to ShopEichlers.com, you could actually search that category, Shabbos lights, and it'll come up. The Travel Kosher Lamp, very cool. The Kosher Lamp Max, plenty of light. The Shabbos Light LED Table Lamp, that's my favorite, and I told you why. And the Shabbos Light LED Clip-On Lamp, which is amazing uh, when you need to uh, schlep along a Shabbos Light when you're visiting friends or relatives for Shabbos. And hopefully, hopefully, we're actually going to be visiting friends and relatives for Shabbos in the near future. Hopefully. See what happens with this whole COVID situation. If you listen to the President of the United States, it's not close to over, but everyone else, I think, thinks so. So hopefully we'll get back to a normal as soon as possible. Anyway, go to shopbyclothes.com. They got same day delivery and more. Check it out and enjoy. More coming up. You're listening to a Thursday morning edition of JM in the AM. Oh, I want to remind you about partnersintorah.org. Partnersintorah.org looking for mentors and students who want to enhance their um, their uh, knowledge of our tradition and our heritage. Uh, those of you who think you can't be a mentor, you're wrong. Those of you who think it's a difficult commitment as a student uh, to commit to an hour a week, you're wrong. Uh, ask the people at Partners in Torah. They will tell you exactly how it works, and they will guide you through the whole process. Partnersintorah.org. Again, partnersintorah.org. Or you can dial 
study for two, one eight hundred study, then the number four, and then the number two, and you'll be all set uh, with partners in Torah. Trust me, it's a uh, a good way to spend an hour of the week. Speak with them about it and uh, and start the process. More coming up Thursday edition of JM in the AM, full Thursday here at the Nahum Siegel Network with amazing programming all through the day, including our live lunch between 11 and 1, including our Erev Shabbos show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem and hosted by Mark Zamek tonight at 7 p.m. Uh, in addition, get ready for a uh, great lineup this morning. Charlie Harari at 9 a.m. At uh, 9.30, Michael Fragan with the latest and greatest in the world of politics. And boy, there's a lot to discuss on that front, isn't there? Uh, coming up at 10 o'clock, Allison Joseph with Ellie Kligman, Shomer Shabbos Major League Baseball prospect from Nevada. She'll be speaking with him at 10 a.m. And Miriam Alwalik with Ellie Leibowitz, the head of uh, East Coast Sales and Operations for My Jewish Listings. That's coming up uh, at 10.30 this morning with Miriam Alwalik just before our Thursday live lunch. More coming up now at JM in the AM.
J.M. and the A.M. with the Yeshiva Boys Choir. It's that time of year again, tax time. Oh, boy. Middle of February, everyone's starting to think about getting their taxes prepared. Are you ready? Isn't it, ta- isn't it about time that you went to a firm that does more than taxes? Rosenbaum Financial Services is that firm. Taxes play an integral role in all of life's circumstances. At Rosenbaum Financial Services, they're able to identify planning opportunities based on information within your return. To learn more about Rosenbaum Financial Services, taxcpa2.com, taxcpa2.com, or call 1-800-829-2722, 1-800-829-2722. In addition, everybody who calls or emails ralph at taxcpa2.com, ralph at taxcpa2.com, they'll send you a uh, no-obligation research on the Dirty Dozen tax scams to watch out for. Again, it's Ralph at TaxCPA2.com, Ralph at TaxCPA2.com, or call 1-800-829-2722, 1-800-829-2722. More coming up. It's JM in the AM. I 
From the trio called Mzumin. That's called Yiru. Thursday morning broadcast, JM in the AM. Well, if you add it up all together, 7 to 14 inches of snow in this area. If you add up uh, today's forecast, tonight's, and tomorrow's, we'll see what ends up happening. 2 to 3 inches is what our friends in Jerusalem tell us actually fell there. Although the picture, pictures I saw from this morning looked like the roads were clear. There was snow on the side, but it looked like the roads were clear already at this point. And, of course, uh, when snow shows up only once every five years or so and then disappears after half a day, the frolicking in the snow doesn't bother me as much. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it to those who need to spend their night <laughs> playing in the snow and they don't have to uh, see it for the next few months like we have over here. Thursday morning broadcast, JM and the AM. Well, our friends at Turo College and University System have sent us some amazing guests over the last couple of months, and today is no exception. Dr. Faye Walkenfeld is with us live via telephone. Today is a day, and I don't just mean the specific day, I mean the times that we're in, uh, that is so focused on mental health in general, of course, but then, of course, you add the COVID component, and it's become a really, really big topic. Dr. Faye Walkenfeld is a psychologist and director of clinical mental health counseling ABA and Industrial Organizational Psychology programs at Turo College. And uh, Dr. Faye Walkenfeld, I say welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Malcolm. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And I appreciate you joining us this morning. Well, let's start with the general term because we always have to set this as a as a ground rule so people understand the conversation we're having. What do we mean when we say mental health? What areas uh, does it encompass? Well, that's a great question because people often think, oh, you know, mental health must mean mental illness, right? Right. right. If, if someone's going to a mental health practitioner, that person probably suffers from a mental illness. Right. Uh, we, go to, we go to the worst possible scenario. But really, um, in the same way that we try to do preventative medicine in the medical world, there is an understanding that we need to help people really with everyday living, by teaching them to realize their own abilities, their own strengths and weaknesses, teaching them good coping strategies, how to work productively, deal with relationships, and contribute to their community. Um, there really is a focus these days on the whole person. How do, how, you know, what, is, what makes up that person? How can we strengthen the person? And how does the person fit in with the family as well as with the community? Now, that's not to say that mental health counselors don't deal with severe mental illness as well. They are trained to deal with um, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, schizophrenia, different levels of that. But that's basically 
what we're talking about. Yeah, but the, ba- but the basics that you describe are so vital and important to the health of an individual and a family as well. Uh, well, you know the big topic. The big topic is COVID, of course, and um, we wonder uh, how Americans have been coping mentally, uh, the state of the mental health of people in this country uh, over the last year. And obviously, uh, we're, we at this uh, program and with this audience are even more curious how the Frum community is handling the mental health situation uh, over the last year. How would you address those two questions? Uh, well, actually, th- th- in, in general, the, the from community, I would say, is, I don't know if they're much different, really, from the rest of the from the rest of uh, United States, and, right. and certainly New York, and how we're dealing with it. We're, it's, it's, it's hard. It's very hard, um, and it's showing up in different ways. So there was actually a greater awareness of anxiety and depression coming out right before the pandemic. I was actually on a panel speaking about it a few months before. And then it has gotten much worse since then. So there's a study that shows that whereas before COVID, it was one in 10 adults was diagnosed with depression or anxiety. At this point, it's four out of 10. Wow. Um, Yeah. And really, there are a few things going on. First of all, people who were already diagnosed and were trying to do treatment one of the things they're supposed to do is exercise because it helps endorphins, it helps mood. But if the gyms were locked down and it's, you can't, it's hard to wear a mask and bike and, and you know, walk in the cold and everything, it curtailed what people were able to do. In addition, we know isolation is actually one of the worst punishments, right? Solitary confinement is one of the worst punishments, yet we have elderly and we have many people who are just really isolated. Um, as humans, we're social beings, and we really need to be with other people. And the fact that we are being so isolated is, is, is actually hurting people a lot. Um, so we are suffering in that way. And we know that people are reacting sometimes with COVID fatigue, right, by doing the opposite, so just saying, forget it all, I'm giving up, you know, and I'm just going to go do whatever I want to do. Yeah. Not, not that I need to force you into making a political commentary, but it is frustrating watching our government leaders not appreciate what people are going through from a mental health perspective. For instance, you talk about isolation, and of course, so many different social environments and social atmospheres are completely closed down right now. We get that. But you'd think they'd be a little bit, as they think about how they're going to reopen, you'd think they'd be a little bit more sympathetic. You'd think they'd be a little bit more anxious to get certain things open quicker just to increase the capability of somebody being more social and losing some of that loneliness, and unfortunately, it hasn't been the case. No, it hasn't, and it's actually it's it's been a problem in in schools as well. Actually, right. one a very interesting finding also that came out is that mothers with children under eighteen years of age, I mean, women with children under eighteen years of age, are suffering much more than the average adult, and they're suffering more than men with children under eighteen years of age. That's a whole other story, but it does speak to the fact that you know having the kids home and and even if they go to school. There aren't that many. If you have days off, there's no place to take them. Right. There's nothing to do with them. Right. And so it, it, it really is causing undue stress, besides the fact that they're homeschooling and everything else. Right. Those who take their responsibility as parents, and especially as mothers, as you pointed out, very seriously, it's going to become a very anxious situation. Dr. Faye Walkenfeld is with us live via telephone, psychologist and director of clinical mental health counseling, ABA and industrial organizational psychology programs at Turo College. Uh, could you give us some signs that... You know, where, where it reaches the boiling point, where you would recommend someone does need to reach out for help from a mental health professional? So basically, when we, we, what we recommend is that when it's impacting um, a person's functioning, 
So if you're not eating, you're not sleeping, you're 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 having issues with keep with keeping up with your job, um, with relationships are they're going sour. If you're feeling distressed in some way that's really impacting your life, um, get help right away because all that's if you don't, that's just going to get worse and cause much more severe issues. One of the problems is that people who need help often are not ready to make that call or or don't recognize the fact that they need help. Right, and so it it, it does become incumbent on on those of us who are who on their loved ones to. Yeah. Try to point it out. Then their loved ones make the call, and then they don't speak to them for a month. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I'm, not, I'm not trying to encourage that. I'm just saying that the loved ones who really care about others, boy, oh, boy, do they put themselves in a position, in a very sensitive position when they act upon, uh, you know, trying That's to true. help trying to help their relative. But you're right, uh, and everyone's got to know that. If it reaches that point, everybody, please, either yourself because you're self-aware and you understand it, or uh, you know, if you're a relative of somebody who's suffering in that way, do what you can to step in and do what's possible. A lot of people are considering careers and fields that have now become, you know, high profile. We talked a few weeks ago with the uh, uh, with one of the doctors uh, on uh, on uh, one of the professors from Turo about the Fauci effect, and uh, people wanting wanting to get into the nursing field or the uh, medical field in general because of what they've seen on the front lines during this pandemic. Are people now? considering careers in your field, field of mental health, as a result of this crisis and just realizing how vital uh, a role a professional can play in changing people's lives in this area? Absolutely. We actually have one student who, um, a young Hasidic guy, who, who was really he was working toward going for occupational therapy, and he, he witnessed a number of people who were Work, who were who had tried some suicide attempts, and um, wow. he he switched over to mental health, and he's now one of he's a great student. He's he's in our program. Yeah, and he'll end up saving lives. Probably, yeah. yes, yes. And so we're definitely seeing um, that there's a that we're definitely seeing uh, more people interested and realizing that this is an issue and that we need people on the front lines. What's the mental. what's the course of study? How does one get onto the track that he's in? Like, what's the course of study in order to get a degree in this? So the first thing to be accepted, you need a bachelor's from an accredited institution. Right. Um, and then in terms of what we do, so we, there's um, 60 credits worth of coursework that people take. And with that coursework, they do a practicum and internship. Um, we have someone on staff who actually is uh, designated to give to make sure everyone has a placement, and he's excellent. So we have every we've had 100% placement over the, over the last five years. People from other schools are actually calling him to help them with placements because wow. yeah, well we don't allow that, but yes. Um, <laughs> so, um, but Baruch Hashem, we've been very successful with that, and so um, people should not be concerned about about where they're going to find placements because we he's, we've we found in hospitals and we found agencies and many other places. Um, in terms of on the ground training, the the there's role play in the classrooms. We have specific, we we're, have an affiliation with an institute where students get additional training um, on our premises, um, and we're generally very very student friendly. So in terms of understanding the from community, I keep getting requests from applicants. You know, what happens if I get married in the middle of the program or right. if I have a baby or whatever, right. we work with the students and we were very cognizant of the from needs and we want people who, you know, who are sensitive and who are going to be effective in the 
field to make the most of the opportunity to do that. Um, what do people, uh, you know, there, there are people who will make recommendations to certain young people and say, oh, you, you know, you, you have this attribute or you have this talent, you have this skill. You should consider a career in helping people in the mental health area. What should people look for? What, what, what type of tools do young people need to really excel in this area? So really, I would say three main things that come to mind to, for me is empathy, right. being able to, be, to empathize with someone else. Um, also, humility. It's really important to be able to be humble, say, something, say you don't know when you don't know, um, and, I'll, and listen to the client. If you think you know everything, you're not really going to listen. Um, and have patience and re- recognize sometimes you're going to make recommendations and the client will not necessarily, you know, listen to what you're saying. That's okay. Um, it's, the, it's really about the client recognizing for him and herself when they have to do what they have to do. Dr. Faye Walkenfeld is with us. Finally, what, what does Tura offer regarding this degree? What can you tell us? So we offer a very warm environment um, where we work with the students. Um, we offer the degree. We offer special trainings as I said, as part of the degree, and we offer the clinical placements. Mm-hmm. Um, we also um, are New York State recognized for offering 350 hours toward the substance abuse credential, the CASAC team. So all of our students come out with that ability to get the credential, um, and that really puts us a little – that allows um, graduates to earn more because yeah. you earn more if you have that credential in addition to the um, master's degree. Um, and we have a scholarship program available that we work in conjunction with the social work program. Um, it's a federal grant for working with substance abuse clients, and they can get a $10,000 scholarship if they're part of that. And as you mentioned earlier, then the Shomer Shabbos component, there's no one, no institution more sympathetic than yours in terms of uh, adjust, adjusting for, for Shabbos and uh, for anything having to do with the from community. Absolutely. For, you know, they're off Cholomite. Right. I mean, there's a lot of sensitivity around that. Right. Dr. Faye Walkenfeld, psychologist and director of clinical mental health counseling, uh, ABA and industrial organizational psychology programs at Turo College. Best uh, way for people to get more information about everything we've discussed would be? Would be to go to the website. um, Turo.edu? It's shs.turo.edu. SHS, that would be? Yeah, shs.turo.edu slash program slash mental health counseling. Um, continued success as more and more people in our community, the young people, um, take you up on your offer to be trained in and to get degrees in this field. They're only going to be helping more and more people in our community down the road to collect a vote. I mean, thank you very much. Dr. Faye Wolkenfeld, check out the website, um, in general, the Turo website, Turo.edu. And, um, and you can check out with the address that uh, she provided the specifics regarding these programs we discussed this morning. More coming up. It's a Thursday morning broadcast at JM in the AM.
שבטו דל ויתום, אני ורש הצדיקו, בלטו דל ואביון, מיד רשעים הצילו, שבטו דל ויתום, אני ורש הצדיקו, בלטו דל ואביון, מיד רשעים הצילו. I'm 
ולא יודעים What is it? <laughs> What could I do for you? This is going to sound just utterly ridiculous to you, but I'm moving, you see? And in an old coat in a trunk, I found this shoe repair ticket that must be seven or eight years old. It's for some shoes I brought in before I went into the Navy, and then I moved away from Brooklyn, and now I found this old ticket. And I know it sounds ridiculous that you would have the shoes after seven years, but I took a chance. Oh, I get it. You're that fellow from Candid Camera. <laughs> no, 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 sir. Honestly, look, look, here's the ticket. Let me see it. Are you out of your mind? We haven't even used the numbers in years. Next! No, please, sir. No, no, it was a long trip here from Baltimore. I know it's ridiculous, but please, take a look in the back. All right, all right. I'll look. I'll be right back. This is very embarrassing. But after all, they don't make shoes like they used to. How can I be foolish enough to think that after seven years that they would still... Hey, mister from Baltimore, Maryland. Yes? You're not going to believe it. You mean you found my shoes? Was it with half-soles, leather heels? And metal tips? Yes, yes, that's right. It'll be ready Tuesday. J.M. in the A.M. For those who love the Adar comedy segments, that's one of the absolute classics. And frankly, I don't know anybody who doesn't love the Adar comedy segments. That's for sure. Thursday morning broadcast, J.M. in the A.M. Full day ahead of amazing programming. We've got uh, Charlie Harari next between 9 and 9.30. We've got Michael Fragan coming up. And uh, Michael will discuss the upcoming Israeli elections with Ari Harrow, political strategist and founder and CEO of Sheyan Sheyan Consulting. Uh, That'll be happening between 9.30 and 10. At 10 o'clock, Jew in the City Speaks. Allison has Ellie Kligman, a Shomer Shabbat Major League Baseball prospect from Nevada. That's Life with Miriam L. Wallach. Miriam will have Ellie Leibowitz on, head of East Coast Sales and Operations for My Jewish Listings. 11 a.m., we do a Thursday live lunch from our studio. Throwback Thursday at 1, JM Rewind at 4. At 7 p.m., 3 a.m., and 10 a.m., it's the Erev Shabbat Show with Mark Zamek, featuring great Jewish music, sponsored by our friends at Kedem, and this week concentrating on Parshas Truma and Parshas Zachar. And there you have it. 
big, big day coming up here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us tomorrow morning, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in for that. And, of course, Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin with words about the Parsha also tomorrow right here at JM in the AM. So there's a lot going on. No need to touch that dial as the antiquated expression goes. Just stay with us now and forever at the Nahum Siegel Network. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com and the Nahum Siegel Network, and of course, any beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Thursday here at JM in the AM. Charlie Harari next. Big lineup coming up. Don't touch that dial. Have a fabulous Thursday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. (laughs) 